0: what the world needs to hear the reason we say that as i said last time was that romans gives us the clearest explanation and the deepest analysis of the human problem and with that it gives us the only solution that god has laid before the world and so romans is this great book well this morning our idea is going to be very very simple and that's this that this one man, Jesus, his obedience defeats the one man's disobedience, Adam's. Let me just say it again. The one act of Jesus' obedience defeats the one man's act of disobedience, and that's Adam's. So powerful and so simple but it's so deep, as we'll see this morning. Now, this morning we're going to be doing some texting. So, if you have your phone, you might want to get your phone out at this time. Because of the density of this passage, it it's kind of lines up with what happens in uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. There's heavy things in there, but then it becomes. Very, very practical. But if something is out there that you're not clear on and you have a question, just text that in. That number is not my phone number, so I won't know who's texting, but I'm going to invite Pastor Brad up at the end and we'll we'll go after some of these questions. So this morning, if you have your Bible, would you open with me to Romans, Romans chapter 5. We're in verses 12 and following. And so I'm going to read... The passage we're going to look at, but it's going to put out before us a contrast and a comparison between two people, the person of Jesus Christ and the person of Adam. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man disobedience, the, man, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, as we study your passage today, we just know we need the help of your Spirit, not merely for understanding, but for transformation. Your Word is not given to us just so that we can know more, but so that we can live differently. So God, we ask that you would speak into our lives. Make it clear, make it direct, that when we leave today, we leave as changed people because of the truths of your word, the power of the gospel, and the move of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. So as we look at this, obviously there's this stuff going on with Adam and Christ, and and it's really important stuff as we look at this, right? So what we'll begin to see is there's these these realms of these two people. But what I do want to just say by way of observation as we get into this, uh, many of you know the story in Genesis, right? And the story in Genesis is that Eve, took of the fruit and ate and gave to her husband, right? So why is Eve not mentioned here? And the point being, I think what Paul is trying to lay out is that there is something going on that's very, very unique with the person of Adam as the head of the human race. So he just links all of this to Adam because of his need to be obedient, of which he wasn't, and his responsibility as the head of the human race. So now, just by way of structure, as we look at this, three things are going to happen. He lays out an introduction in the first couple of verses. Then he's going to do a contrast. And then he's going to do a comparison. But it all plays into two people. So let's, let's look at this this way. is In the Scriptures... In the Scriptures, there's the, uh, God's plan to redeem, right? There's the, the fall of Genesis 3. And what we have set up is there's this one man, Adam. Let's just call it the realm, right? The whole realm of Adam. And that stands in contrast to the realm of of what Jesus Christ is building, which I like to refer to as his kingdom. When we think about the realm of Adam, what we're going to see in a few moments as we look at this passage, is that it really brings us to a place of sin and death and destruction. It's all these things that stand opposed to God. It all explains why the world is the mess that it is and why it continues to be in con. Uh, Uh, chaos and in contrast to what god wants to do it's because of this realm of adam but the great hope and the big hope of the god of the book of romans is that he lays out the realm the kingdom of jesus christ and with jesus christ comes forgiveness of sin removing our guilt taking away our shame bringing us new life filling our hearts with hope actually transforming the affections of our hearts where they are misaligned where they are confused where they move in all kinds of directions Jesus Christ his realm his kingdom is starting to change all of that from the inside and what the Paul is doing, what the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage is laying out for you and me the foundation of all of these things that happen under the realm of Adam and the realm of Jesus Christ. So as we saw in verse 12, he says, therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and as we've made clear, there is this rebellion that happened through Adam and Eve. And because of that rebellion, because of their rejection of God and his plan, and and you remember it, Genesis 2:17, there's this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said, "You can eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, but don't touch this one tree. Don't eat the fruit of it." Is really what he said. And so what happens? the day they ate of it, they died. They died physically in the sense of their bodies now started to break down, but really what happened was the spiritual separation. And so then death enters this world and just reigns in this world. All of us are under that. And so in verse 12, he just lays it out and he says, so death spreads to all people because of this rejection because of the sin of adam and eve in the garden of eden then in verse 13 he says for sin was indeed in the world before the law so now remember that romans was written to both gentiles and jews and so this issue of the law comes back to us over and over and so he brings up the law but that sin was in the world before the Mosaic law, and you know that, right? All you have to do is read the first bunch of chapters in in Genesis, right? And you begin to see the reason for the flood. You begin to see the Tower of Babel. You begin to see all the things with Sodom and Gomorrah. Sin is just running rampant throughout the world, and, and all of it is spreading death. And all of that came before the law. Then in Exodus, in the book of Exodus, we begin to see that God is giving his law. He's now speaking into this world, speaking truth, revealing himself in a way that had never been done before. And then he goes on, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And we'll dive into that in a few moments. Sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type Of the one to come so Adam is this type of the one a pattern of the one who was to come Jesus Christ so he's introducing he's introducing these two realms so let's go a little deeper of, of looking at what's happening here as we look at this the one man Adam he brings sin right that that's this rebellion against God And and He brings this into the world and from that flows death. So death comes and there's this now not only physical death but spiritual death. Spiritual death is this. It's that we are unable to reach up to God. We have no capacity within ourselves to reach up to God. It's God now that has to break in and reveal Himself and deliver us from this deadness or as we would say bring aliveness but not only is there sin not only is there death but there's condemnation and as you remember last time i said that the greatest problem is not merely that there's sin and death and condemnation it's that god's wrath is being poured out on all unrighteousness that is the deepest problem of the human situation so all of this is under the realm Of Adam and God God in his love and in his kindness he says I am going to do something about that I will change what you cannot change and so that's why we read in these verses this idea of grace and free gift grace is something you don't deserve you can't earn it and God says I will do it for you it's a free gift and then it brings life instead of death It brings life, an abundance of life that starts from the inside where our affections that are disordered, God begins to reorder them. He begins to change them and begin to transform them. And then where there was condemnation, remember this magical word that makes things so radically different in the realm of the Jesus kingdom and that is that we are declared righteous with God. It's not anything we could have achieved on our own. It's God's work through the cross of Jesus Christ. And remember our phrase from the time of the Reformation era is that we are justified by grace alone, right? It's a gift of God. We receive that through faith alone, right? In Christ alone the glory of God alone. So that's where the Apostle Paul is going in this passage. So sin comes into the world and through that one man we find that death comes. That's what we find in verse 12. In verse 13 we see that sin was in the world before the law but sin is not counted where there is no law. That is there is no punishment. Now I think what is doing here in this phrase that's a little bit complicated in verse 13 when he says sin is not counted or not brought punishment where there is no law is it's not that there's not sin it's that the individual sin is not laid out clearly that we see with the Mosaic law. And so the reason we know that there was sin is because Paul picks that, verse, that idea up in verse 14 when he says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Remember, when you have sin, you have death. And so he's saying, even though there wasn't this punishment of the specific sins that are laid out in the Mosaic law, there still was punishment that was laid out in law of conscience, just where we know that we've sinned against God. But more importantly, we know that there was this because of death, that death reigned all the way from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Now, when he says that, I think what they're saying, and this is a popular view pretty much through the centuries, is that those people, maybe children, babies, people that maybe do not have the capacity to understand it, so they're not in the likeness or the, like the transgression of Adam, they're still culpable. Now, out of these verses comes one of the more mysterious doctrines in all of Scripture. One that people cry out and say unfair. And it's this idea that all of us have a sin nature and all of us continue to sin. Some people call it the doctrine of original sin or originating sin. It's not really clearly laid out, but it's implied because death spreads everywhere. Everybody is under condemnation. So even though Paul doesn't specifically call it that, he's laying out that all of us are sinners, are rebels by nature and by choice. Very important distinction as we see this because what does he say? He says death spread to every single person. So even people that don't understand, even children, right? We're all born into this state or realm of Adam. And it's God alone who can deliver us from that. Now let me just comment on one more part, and this this first part, is that it says at the end of verse 14 that Adam, who was a type or a pattern of one to come. I think what Paul is doing here is, creating the situation where Adam and Jesus are both of a similarity. There's big differences for sure, but let me give a little bit of an illustration. Imagine you're having a wedding and there's a bridesmaid's dress, right? And you have two bridesmaids and one of them is rather tall and slender and the other one is a little shorter and not as slender, right? But the dress needs to be long sleeved it needs to go a little below the knees it might need to have a certain kind of neck cut and whatever so there's a pattern that's set even though there are some differences and so what God is doing is he's setting up this now comparison in the next few verses of the pattern between even though there's similarities there's going to be some differences so there's going to be some contrast as we'll begin to see what i want you to do uh, appreciate is that the human problem and this was from last week is that sin the sin is pervasive and it's universal nobody escapes it that's why i'm talking about this idea of original sin so all of that begins to come together as we see the universal nature of Adam's sin, yet we're going to see the universal nature of Jesus' deliverance. Now, this might be a good time for me just to pause a little bit. I feel like I need to say something about this because of the world in which we live, that there has been more and more debate about whether Adam and Eve were two historical figures. It is sometimes concluded that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that it's a myth whose truth is theological but not historical. As one would expect, much of this debate comes out of the world of science, right? As we discover more and more about this world. It's now often assumed because of the world that we live in that evolution has disproved that Genesis or the Genesis story is not historical. Now, when I think about this and reflect on this, I think it's really important that we understand that God is often answering the deeper questions of why. What's happening in this world? Science is often trying to answer the question of, of how. God sometimes answers how, but he doesn't always answer the how. So I want us to be a little careful as we navigate all these questions, but I think there's some questions or issues that we have to conclude based on the reading of Scripture. First is this, is that even though Genesis 1, 2, and 3 has many literary features and uses many symbols, the Bible taken as a whole intends for us to accept the historicity of Adam and and eve you see this in luke's genealogy where jesus is included in the line of adam jesus said as much when he was preaching in matthew 19 so jesus assumed the same kind of thing and the apostle paul that we're studying now he certainly told the athenian philosophers that god made every nation of the world from one man and we find that in Acts 17 verse 26. So we can find this pattern throughout scripture. Secondly, Genesis 1 through 3 makes clear that Adam and Eve were special creations of God. Though our bodies are similar or have similarities to other creatures that God has made, our fundamental identity is different. We human beings are made in the image of god no other creatures in the world are described that way there is something unique about us that god has made so that we could rightly relate to god and there are a number of things that if we were spending more time on this i could unpack for us but being made in the image of god specifically allows us to relate to god in a way that no other creatures do and finally The sin against God began with Adam. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't other dynamics moving in the world prior to Adam's sin. It's because of our unique design, because of our connection with God being made in his image, that the Bible sees death as unnatural and ugly. That's why we cringe when people die. It's why we pull back because God never intended for it. He had something bigger and grander and greater that he wanted us to experience. So as we look at this, I want us to be clear that the penalty of sin brought this death and this came through the person of Adam. But as we study this, let's let's go back into the passage now. In Genesis, Genesis. In Romans chapter 5, in verses 15 to 18, what we begin to see is the contrast that I wanted to draw out this morning. So let me see if we can look at this together and see some of the contrast that the Apostle Paul is being uh, put before us. Look what he does. Remember, we said the one man's trespass. So this historical Adam. He's the head. He's the one that is over this realm. It's his sin that brought this death. Look what he says. For if many died through the one man's trespass. But let's stay on Adam for just a moment. He also says he says that the one man's sin. Very similar phrase. Very different. But it's in contrast to Jesus Christ. And so what we see is that This one trespass brought what? It brought the condemnation that I was talking about earlier. So look how the Apostle Paul just lays these things out with the person of Adam. Now he's going to contrast that with the person of Jesus Christ. But the free gift, right? That's where we're going to start going. Is this idea that because of the one man's trespass, There's better in the person of Christ, much more the grace of God and the free gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, which abounded for many. It was available for many, many people whoever would receive him, right? Because that's what he talks about in a little bit. He says it's not just that everybody gets this grace, it's those who will actually receive it. He goes on and he says, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, Adam's sin, for the judgment following one pr- trespass brought condemnation, but here we see Jesus again, the gift following many trespasses brought this justification notice that justification stands in contrast to the condemnation right where we were condemned under Adam Jesus Christ achieves for us what only he could achieve and that is justification we are declared right with God so as we look at that let's go to verse 17 Paul goes on. And he says, "Because of again Adam, one man's trespass, look what he says, death reigned through that one man. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness—this is the same idea of justification—they will reign in life through the one man." Jesus Christ. So we get over and over this contrast of Jesus Christ and Adam. So there's these two realms. And as God lays it out, He's talking about this realm of Adam, this realm of Jesus Christ. So He talks about this idea of grace over and over, the free gift and the grace that comes. Grace is the power in which we live in this world so what i want to do is just take a moment and get really practical if what is described in romans 5 did not happen we would not have the grace of god to live today we would not be able to experience freedom We would not enjoy the love of God. We would not experience the power and goodness of God if what happened in Romans 5, 12 to 21 did not happen. So what I want to do is talk about what is it, or better, how do you and I walk, live, experience the grace of God every day isn't that what we want to know ultimately too as we look at the doctrines and these deep truths and analysis of the world we say okay I love it but how do I experience it how do I live in it so I wrote down three things that I think start coming together as we look at this the first is this we've got to believe in the one man, Jesus Christ, and his gospel. Now, when I say believe, I don't mean intellectual assent. It includes that, but too many people just stop like, oh yeah, I believe. You know that after the service, we invite people to pray, come up for prayer. I love praying for people. I love seeking God's power on behalf of people. Sometimes people come up and they want to be healed. Do you believe in healing? Say amen, right? God is healing today. He still delivers people. I'll never understand why he delivers some and not others. There's lots of questions I have, but it never stops me from praying and believing God for healing. But sometimes people come up and say, yeah, I want you to to pray for healing. I said, do you believe in God healing power? And they'll say yes. But you just sense there's a hitch in their spirit. They don't really believe maybe that God would heal them or that God would heal right then and there. I don't know, but there's a sense in which there's there's a wall, there's a barrier of belief. So when I say believe, if you want to experience the grace of God, you can't just say the grace of God is out there for me. You gotta say, I believe that God is at work. He is for me based on the promises of God's word. So when we memorize Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know why I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because it's the power of God to those who believe. We will not experience the power, the deliverance, the strength of God if we do not believe. In these things. So let me just say it in light of grace, we all need grace to live. I need grace every day of my life. I make dumb decisions without the grace of God. I hurt people without the grace of God. I say silly things without the grace of God. I need the grace of God, but I got to believe that it's available to me. So I need to believe in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do believe it and I claim it. And so if you want to experience the grace of God, you got to move it from your head to your heart and say God I want to see it and you don't get up from your time with the Lord until your heart is in this place where you say I believe (laughs) we've got to get there as a people we will not be the church that Jesus Christ wants us to be if we do not believe in the promises of Jesus Christ we've got to claim them we've got to fight for it because there's an enemy resisting us as we think about it, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, The word of the cross, that's all embedded in the gospel, right? The word of the cross is foolishness to the world out there. But look what he says, but to us who are being delivered out of darkness, he says it's the power of God. This is where we've got to take a stand and believe in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to confess and repent of our sins we need to just lay it out in first john 1 9 confession is just simply agreeing with god now remember we're not about a self-improvement program a moral improvement program this is supernatural the god says wait a minute you are out of step with the spirit you are not living with the attitudes of freedom and joy and peace and you need to do something about it because i've given you all power all strength now you just need to receive it and the way you receive it is you need to confess it as sin and repent. Now let me be really careful here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul lays out there's two kinds of repentance. There's a repentance, I just feel bad about my sin. I see this a lot. I feel really bad that I did this or I've lived this way or I've acted this way. And Paul says, feeling bad leads to death. And then he lays out, but there is a repentance that leads to life. You know what that repentance is? It's when you start living like Jesus Christ told you to live. You're just playing games otherwise. Paul just cuts through it all and says there's a repentance that leads to death and there's a repentance that leads to life. And the repentance that leads to life is the woman that says, I'm changing the way I'm living. I'm done playing games with Jesus Christ. It's the man who says, I'm all in and I'm leading my family in the ways of Jesus Christ. That leads to life. Just feeling bad leads to death. Thirdly, we need to surrender to God's will and live obediently. So after you repent, there's this idea of living obediently to obedience you've got to surrender romans 1 5 remember when we studied that in uh, uh, an obedience of faith an obedience which comes from faith paul says later on when we get there in romans he's going to say anything that is not of faith is sin we got to live by faith we got to live believing god and as we do this we will experience and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me just touch on one more thing here in verse 18 as we look at some comparison. The Apostle Paul says this. Let me clear that. Therefore, the one trespass, remember it's all about the one trespass, Adam, that led to condemnation for all people. This is why we're getting into this idea of original sin. So that one act of righteousness, let me just say this one act of righteousness is not merely the cross of Jesus Christ it's the entire life of Jesus Christ Jesus obedience from the day he lived on this earth all the way to his death and resurrection was imputed it was counted to you So it's his whole life, this one act, I think is his whole life, and it leads to this declaration that we are right with God, and look at this, life, joy, peace, excitement, that's what's going on for those who are in Jesus Christ. For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, but look what happens, the one man's obedience, the many will be made sinners righteous paul just lays it out jesus christ is the only way so as i said at the beginning this entire passage comes down to one big idea the one act of jesus obedience the one act of jesus obedience defeats the one act of adam's disobedience for whoever wants to receive it, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Now I know a lot's been said. I'm going to invite Pastor uh, Brad out, and he's uh, receiving some of the text. Come on up, brother. Let's just welcome him.
1: So. Always feels good to get applause, right? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we got about ten or twelve questions that came in, and uh, what I what I tried to do is like. There's a couple topics and themes. So I'm going to lay out a few, um, Tom, that are around this idea of the time and the significance of the law and when it was given and when it wasn't given. And so that way you can kind of pick, okay, here's one that's good that I want to talk about or whatever. So a few of the questions that came about kind of this time were um, the time between Adam and then Moses. There was no law. So everyone there, are they held accountable? Are they exempt? Everyone who lived in between. I might be able to touch on that one because I preached Romans 2 a couple months ago. Um, Then another one that came on was uh, why did God wait so long to give the law when sin was reigning? Like, wouldn't it have been better for him to give the law right away to Adam and Eve? And then, why did he give the law to us at all if he knew that we couldn't keep it? So those are kind of like four questions all around this idea of the law, what it was given. So which one do you want to touch base (laughs) on? Okay,
0: I'm going to do the last one and move because they kind of move in a progression. And it's really important. Is that we don't know exactly all why God does what he does, right? (laughs) I mean, if we did, we'd be God. But what we do know is that God wants us to know him and reveals things. So the law, when we say the law, we're talking about the Mosaic law. So The Mosaic Law, God gave it. Most people would lay it out in three ways. First of all, it's to look at ourselves so that we see ourselves as sinners. Some call it a mirror. It's a mirror for ourselves to see that we have really fallen short, right? So we make idols. We don't honor our father and mother. We commit murder, Jesus said, even from the heart, right? We begin to see who we really are because of the law. Secondly, the law is laid out in a way so that it curbs our behavior. It it, it directs us to live in a certain way. So it says uh, the, the seventh commandment, thou shall not commit adultery right? So we, we know that it should curb our behavior and our appetites. So when we live in a lawless world like we do today, and people live and uh, go after anything or anybody, however they want sexually, God says, wait a minute, that's not the way to live. See how it curbs the way we live. It, it, it has it. And then it teaches. So though there's the three uses of the law, God wants us to learn about Him. The law is grounded in the character of God. And by the way, can I just speak to parents for a moment? Parents, when you discipline your children, you never say, here's the law or here's the way it is without connecting it to the character of God. Your children need to see that it's tied to the very heart and nature of Jesus Christ. So, your kid steals at school. You don't quote to them, thou shall not steal the eighth commandment, alone. What you want to do is we don't steal because God wants to be our provider and our protector. You got to link it back to God. We don't lie. Why? Because god does not lie god always tells the truth you got to link it to character otherwise what you're going to end up is getting into a moral improvement program and you know what i say as a pastor i don't care if you have a kid that doesn't ever lie if he's far from god or she's far from god what matters is that they're connected to god ultimately So we got to make sure that we're doing it. So as we look at this, why did God wait so long? I'm not so sure I could ever answer that. I know that God always has His plans and His purposes, and He's providentially working them out according to His time frame. And why don't you answer the first one between Moses and... I mean, um, uh, Adam and Moses.
1: Yeah, that time in between Adam and then when God finally yeah, you, bring Yeah, you the had law. a great
0: message in yeah, Romans 2. I,
1: I, I think that's the answer, I think. But correct me if I'm wrong, because I remember that passage talking about, like, for Gentiles that don't have the law, like, their conscience bears witness and excuses them and excuse. Uh, accuses them and excuses them. So there's this a sense of moral code where we know what's right and wrong, even if, right, even if yeah. there's not a strict law given. I gave a couple examples. I think I gave like stealing as an example. We all know that stealing feels bad and it's wrong, right? And if someone says not, just take their iPhone from them or whatever, right? And they'll be like, hey, I think that's the example I gave. So yeah. there's this idea that God has given us this moral code or moral law that's on our hearts. I mean, is that kind of...
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's exactly it. And and what the law does then is clarifies and gives more detail to the issues of the conscience. Mm-hmm. Also, in Ecclesiastes 3, it says that God set eternity in our hearts. Well, that tells us that we understand that God is transcendent, that there's something different about the Christian worldview that we begin to understand that's innate in us. We may resist it, we may push it down. And this, by the way, is why Genesis can never be considered a myth. Since I opened that can of worms, let me just say, the reason why Genesis 1, 2, and 3 can't be a myth is because a myth usually defined as it's a closed world with God and nature all wrapped together as one. But the Christian worldview says that God is outside the world. He made it, He's other than the world. Myth is always wrapped up, like when you read Greek mythology, Roman mythology, you read the mythology of the ancient Near East. It's always balled up with the world and gods, plural, and all that, even though some will resist some of that. So God is doing something very unique, even though there's a lot of literary devices and symbols in uh, Genesis 1 to 3.
1: There are a few questions about Adam and Eve and why did God put the tree there? Did he know that they were going to sin um, when he put the tree there? So may- maybe just this one, Tom. Was God tempting Adam and Eve by putting the tree in the garden? Why would he do that?
0: I, I, I think that the simplest explanation of this is that um, Jesus lays it out this way. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. There's just a connection that we all get between love and obedience. And Jesus, or, or God, laid it out that there was just one tree in the garden that they couldn't eat the fruit of. Was He tempting them? I don't know if I would say it that way, but it was an opportunity for them to show their love and obedience to God. It was a way to show their loyalty to his kingdom. It was a way to say, God, yes, we trust you. But what they did was rebelled against the very goodness of God. So could it have been anything else? I imagine God could have picked other things, but he picked. And of course, there's the uniqueness of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, eat, eat of all the free, fruit of the garden. Enjoy it. I've given you everything to richly enjoy but so that you can show me you love me.
1: What do you think about, I was just going to weigh in that, like, yeah, I, I feel like it was God teaching His people how to worship Him, right? Choose me. You have all these things that you can choose, but choose me. What would you say, a lot of people point to that being like this sense of free will, right? God wanted to give us a choice to, to choose Him, right? So, we're not just robots or zombies kind of going along in His master plan. Like, do you think that plays in this at all, Tom?
0: Uh, For sure. I mean, there's different dimensions. Obviously, I'd be wanting to be a little more precise how I talk about will. I typically don't like to talk about free will uh, because sometimes we define it as philosophers do in a way that the Bible doesn't. And I like my definitions to come up out of Scripture that we have a will within our nature and we're going to choose within our nature and our affections. So I want to be a little careful.
1: Okay, the the last thing that kind of came out was just uh, some application, like how do I apply this to my life? How do I stand in God's grace, and Mm. what does that look like? I love that you already gave some really practical advice about parenting. Mm. Um, Maybe there's something else that that comes out, but I did write one thing down that I thought of as you were preaching, and that's I I wrote down the door of access is permanently open to Him.
0: Hmm. That's like good. If
1: we're standing in God's grace, we f- forever have access to talk to Him, to commune with Him, to worship Him, to ask Him for things. Mm-hmm. It's permanently open. Right. We have the Spirit of God inside of us. We have this communion with Him that we probably all take for granted.
0: Yeah, and I love that. And, and sometimes we forget that, right? And so how do we get reminded? You've got to be in the Word. One thing we know is that the Word of God fuels our faith. If you're not in the Word, your faith will not get fueled. It will not. It'll start to die and wither. And then there's another thing. God's people. I get energized when I see the faith of people here at Fox Valley Church. It energizes me and excites me. It makes me want to believe God. There's people here that have a gift of faith and I just marvel at it. I'm like, God, I gotta get around them because when I get around them, it makes me want to believe more. And so I think those are big things. Now, I do, I'll close with this because it's getting late. Um, We get a magazine at our home and I love this magazine and I hate this magazine. I'll pick it up and I'll start to read and it's about Christians in other parts of the world. And I get so excited about how they're living and it challenges me. And then I look at what they're struggling with and I throw it down. Because I'm like, man, I would fail if I was in that spot. And I think that the church is like this. We need to be around people, God's people. There's an old saying, it goes something like this. If you leave the sheep, it's not too long before you leave the shepherd. If you get away from the sheep, it won't be too long before you get away from the shepherd. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Now, if I want to get myself in trouble, um, and I've already probably gotten myself in trouble. um, I want to speak into this. Sometimes we have marriages where one spouse is pulling the other away. You, as a spouse that's getting pulled away because your spouse is far from God, indifferent to God, cold to God, you need to be very, very careful how you're living. You need to be very careful that you're living obediently to Jesus Christ because you will give an account to how you're living. And I hear this way too much. And so just if I could speak to the men, men, where are you leading your family? Where are you leading your family? Where are you leading your family? Father, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for the people here. I ask you to bless everyone here. The joy, power, goodness of Jesus Christ. Let them experience it in a powerful, good way today. Remind them how much you love them, how much you care for them, how much you are doing on their behalf. Remind them, God. Oh, Father, fill them with your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, as we leave this morning, if you want prayer, I'm going to be down here. I told you I believe in the power of prayer. If you want prayer for healing, Pastor Brad is here. I'm here. We believe in this. If you want anything, prayer, let come on down front. And remember as you leave, Jesus changes everything.